Successful Farming and Corteva AgriScience present the second edition of the Farm School Podcast. I'm Lori Boyer. Corteva AgriScience provides cutting-edge solutions for farmers worldwide. Learn more at Corteva.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we believe that when we work together, we grow together. We believe innovative agriculture solutions are found in the lab and in the field, applying real insights from farmers with our global R&D knowledge to create a strong suite of innovations across seed and crop protection. We believe in constantly challenging ourselves on how to bring all of our solutions together, giving farmers the tools to address today's needs and tomorrow's challenges. We believe in what we do because we believe in what farmers do, and together we thrive. Corteva AgriScience, keep growing. Today's topic is crop scouting. I'm joined by Summer Ori, who farms with her husband and family in Earlham, Iowa. Summer, I am looking forward to talking with you here today. What is your background and your experience in agriculture? Sure. So I grew up on a small farm in Southwest Missouri. We raised beef cows. We had a cow-calf herd that was, my grandpa had started that operation. And growing up, cows were what I grew up around. So I was familiar with livestock, very active in 4-H and in sports. We picked out the calves that I was going to show at the county fair right out of grandpa's lot. (laughs) When I grew up, I got into the construction industry. I worked for a roofing manufacturer and I was in construction for 10 years, which is what led me to Iowa and where I met my husband, Dan Ori. And we got married and he introduced me to the wonderful world of row crop farming and large scale farming, if you will. So operations were quite a bit different from what I had grown up with, but you know, cows are cows and the forest is the forest and farming is farming. So it was just learning different methods, but still very much like reminiscing back to my childhood of how I grew up and being around my own livestock. And Summer, how long have you then lived in Earlham? Um, I moved to Iowa in uh, 2013. I moved out to Earlham in 2014. So I've been here ever since. And Earlham is a wonderful town, wonderful rural rural town just outside of Des Moines, just west of West Des Moines, really. So we're about 30 minutes from downtown, 30, 35 minutes. We're kind of in our own little, just beautiful small town community with no stoplights, no mainstream businesses. It is entirely operated by, you know, aside from the Casey's in town, it's operated by small business owners that really do a great job of kicking back into the community and just making all the community projects happen. And how many acres of cropland do you own? We own and rent, but we farm about 4,000 acres collectively as a a multi-generational family farm. So there's more than just myself involved. It's my husband's family that's been building on this land base for quite some time. And Summer, can you go over the crops that you do grow? The majority of what we grow is uh, pioneer corn and soybeans. But then for our forages, we also do triticale. We do alfalfa. This would be more like for what we're raising for to feed for our own locker beef and our our own cow-calf operations. We do a mix of, of small grains, peas and oats and things like that. But the bulk of what we raise is corn and soybeans. You also raise cattle, right? Yes, we do. Yeah, we have quite a few. (laughs) Summer, I know you said you have multi-generations working on your farm. So who all works with you and do you have any hired hands? We are right now family owned and operated. So everyone that works on the farm is a family member. So it is my husband, Dan, his brother, Joe, his wife, Michaela is also a part of that. And then our older generation would be Dan's dad, Mike Ori, his uncle, Steve Ori. And then this was kind of all started by 
grandpa Larry. So Larry Ori, through time, the next generation has been able to come back and be a part of the farming operation, which is pretty special. That is really cool. When was the farm established? Oh man, gosh, don't quote me on this, but it's going to go back to great grandpa Marion Ori. They are fifth generation farmers right now. So this is, I'm going to say, you know, well over a hundred years of farming in this area. Summer, that is pretty neat. Thanks for sharing some of the history. I think we all enjoy learning about some of the history of our farms and ranches here in the U.S. On another note, do you incorporate any no-till farming into your operation? So we do. So there is a large active effort right now to move acres that qualify for that. So it's not entirely applicable to every single acre, but if it makes sense and the acre has a positive response to a no-till situation, we are actively trying to do more cover cropping. So I will be following behind the combine basically and drill in a cover crop. So that's a green initiative that we're implementing each year. We do a little bit more than we did the previous year because kind of tend to try things out on a small scale, make sure that we get it really refined and dialed in before we start launching a larger scale project. We have done that successfully for the past two, three years. We have been building that. So we're going to be growing more cover crop acres starting this fall than we ever have before. Summer, now that we have gotten to know you a little bit more, as well as how your family farm operates and some of the history of it, our topic today is crop scouting. So the first question I have for you is, what is your farm's goal planting and harvest dates? So we started planting weather dictates because we are in central Iowa. We really are not able to get in the ground. I think the insurance date is April 10th. I think that was it this year. There's not a whole lot of activity up until then, but we're seed dealers as well. So we are in our seed shed starting in February, sorting seed, categorizing it, bringing it in, getting ready for the growing season. And then we will start treating our soybeans a few days ahead if we think our customers are going to start planting soybeans ahead of their corn. This year was more corn ahead of soybeans because the ground temperature was just favorable for majority of corn went in first before soybeans. So we did a lot more beans towards the end of April into May, mid-May. So it just kind of depends. Weather is going to be a huge factor in that because uh, when the soil conditions are perfect and the weather forecast is favorable. Most customers would put in their corn ahead of beans, but it wasn't always like that. Sometimes it just wasn't favorable for corn. So they would go ahead and start with beans. It kind of situation dictates. Now, with regard to the scouting process, what do you do on your farm when it comes to scouting? So we are in our fields. Really, every week you're checking some field somewhere. So from this point on out, we are in fields every week. Once the seed shed doors close, we really just turn ourselves loose into field work because you're out there trying to establish stand counts, make sure that there's not a, a replant situation where, you know, if the planting didn't go quite as expected or weather turned south and now all of a sudden we find ourselves in a replant situation, we're out there doing stand counts. At this point though, our corn is just about to hit the tassel stage. So that's a very important part of the corn reproductive cycle. So tasseling over the next couple of weeks is going to occur. And pretty much from that point on, it will be flying foliar fungicides, insecticides, and scouting for diseases. So you're doing your disease management, your insect management, making sure that that plant has everything that it needs to finish out its reproductive cycle from here on out. So the next 30 days are going to be very critical really across the whole state of Iowa and anywhere that grows crop. It's setting the stage for that eventual year yield harvest in the fall. Summer, can you walk me through the scouting process? We try to get off the end rows. So we try to get out 
you're not going to be out in the middle of the field every single time necessarily, but you may be in a quarter of it. And then you may drive around to the other side of the field and enter in from a different angle so that you're seeing multiple spots in the field because you don't want to necessarily make a diagnosis off of just one particular section. You kind of want to get an overall picture of the entire field. We utilize our drone. Sometimes if it's something that we're not seeing from the ground, we'll go ahead and fly the drone just to make sure we're not seeing a pocket of something, you know, discolored or a massive discoloration somewhere else in the field. So it just kind of gives you just an overall picture of the health of the field. But we're just basically trying to stop problems before they start. So if there's not a need to spray for particular bugs, if there's really, really low bug pressure, maybe you back off on some of your pesticide usage, or maybe you found a problem that you weren't really truly expecting to see that big, that fast. You're seeing an early hatch of insects or disease has snuck in overnight. Tar spot's a big one, gray leaf spot northern leaf blight. You're just kind of looking for, is there something that is going to cause us a problem later on? And can we get ahead of it and minimize the damage by implementing, taking action early on as opposed to reacting later on? When do you actually begin scouting summer? So there are diseases that are like cold weather driven that are emergent more around like VE. So there are different things that you're looking for at different stages of growth. So we want to make sure that we're seeing a nice uniform stand, just a nice even emergence. But then as the crop starts to mature, we start looking for different things. We're talking about doing this scouting on foot, right? So Summer, where do you walk? How do you know where to go in your field to do the scouting? You try to keep an eye on where you came from so that uh, you know how to get your way back out of the field. But uh, you're only going to get lost a time or two, and then you're going to figure out your directions pretty quick. It's going to be tall stock. So when you're in there walking, you kind of try to keep an eye on where you are in the field. When you're out there and you're walking summer, you're actually collecting samples, right? We do several uh, what we call soil sample projects and tissue sample projects. So if we have guys that have maybe tried something new with their fertilizer program or they want to try something, they're just not exactly sure what to implement. We'll go out there and we'll tissue test leaves off the corn and off the bean plants and kind of see, okay, at this point in time, what is the crop telling us? What is it saying that it needs? Is there something that we can make a recommendation on to change for future dry fertilizer or uh, flyover packages. So that helps aid us so that we're not just taking a stab in the dark, like, oh, you just need to up your nitrogen. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's micronutrients that need to be addressed, not necessarily. Maybe it's sulfur, maybe it's lime, maybe it's a pH issue. And the only really way to do that is to take samples and send it off to the lab. And then that gives you a a pretty good visual of, you know, okay, we have a problem or no, we're, we're in middle road and we kind of right where we want to be. It just needs a little more time. Summer, when you are out in a field scouting and you're taking some tissue samples from the crop itself, do you also take soil samples? We do our soil sampling more so in the fall and in the spring, kind of when the crop is off the ground. Now, that being said, there's a large effort for double cropping right now. So you're taking the crop off in the fall and then turning around and planting a a cover crop back into that. So there's kind of a a window there you want to get in and get your soil samples and start making your dry fertilizer decisions. But that being said, now is the time basically for corn rootworm testing. So we'll pull soil plugs and send that off and take a look at what our corn rootworm pressure is and make some decisions off that. How often do you go out and scout during a growing season? So in a perfect world, you're in every field every week. In reality, that's not always possible. So if we feel pretty confident that 
our spray program, our fertilizer program, we've got everything intact. You, those might be a little less managed than something that you're really trying to watch out for, or maybe you're hoping to see something that gives you a, you know, a direction on a decision to make. So if there's a field that you're waiting to make a decision on, you're going to be in that field more often than you are the one that is maybe already, you feel confident that that program is doing everything that it's supposed to, and we're not necessarily looking for a problem as much as just managing it. So that one may just be a, you know, a flyover field that we fly a drone and just take a look that everything looks as we would expect it. Okay, great. You know, move on. And we have apps that help us keep all of our notes organized so that, I mean, you can carry around field books too, but you may forget it. You may misplace it. You can put everything online and kind of have a diary throughout the year of how that field is doing. Summer, now let me ask you this. Being a seed dealer, do you guys have to scout differently because are your customers looking for more or different information from you? I would say this was my husband's agency before we got married. So they are, they are definitely more leaning on his recommendations. I may be the person out there doing the tissue sampling and the soil sampling, and he may be the one giving the uh, prescription to the farmer. That being said, I mean, it, it takes many hands around the farm to make everything happen. So he trained me on how to do this process and, and what kind of what he's looking for. And then I go out and take an active part of making that happen. Because if we have 15 soil test to field, it's, you know, it's divide and conquer. That's just the most effective way to do it. And another question I have when you talked about sending it off to the lab. So how quick is that turnaround time from when you send it off and then you get information back? Our lab is in Omaha that we use. We use Midwest Labs quite a bit. We use Waypoint some. So we are able to get those within the week. And it's usually in plenty of time to make a decision. Okay, are we spraying or not spraying? Are we holding off? And then sometimes it's just a, a data collection and you really don't get the final story until the yield is pulled off the field and we get the yield results. So once we get those, we're taking as planted data, we're taking soil tests, tissue tests, and then you know the final yield is going to kind of round out the story. You won't necessarily get the whole picture until the fall, but then that that can kind of guide you in your decision-making for the next year. Summer, you mentioned keeping a diary. Let's talk a little bit more about that. How does a diary help you make decisions for the next growing year on things that you might want to change or do differently? Well, we want to help farmers in ways that they find beneficial. So, you know, definition of insanity is to just do the same thing every year and make no changes. The information is out there to essentially do a better job. So we're, we have access to that information. We try to share it. In some ways, it's going to be applicable to certain growers. In some ways, they are ahead of the curve and they initiate their own changes and are very capable of doing that. I would say we are surrounded by a very good group of forward-thinking farmers. So they are interested in innovation. They are interested in doing a better job and leaving it better than they found it. And they understand the importance that, you know, with the input costs, the way they are nowadays, I mean, it's not just about maximizing your yield. I mean, that's fantastic, but you don't want to set yourself up for failure for next year's crop. So it's a sustainable action. You want to do something that's sustainable for many, many years of farming, not necessarily one big high-powered year. So that's important to keep in mind as well. At Corteva AgriScience, we believe that when we work together, we grow together. We believe innovative agriculture solutions are found in the lab and in the field, applying real insights from farmers with our global R&D knowledge to create a strong suite of innovations across seed and crop protection. 
We believe in constantly challenging ourselves on how to bring all of our solutions together, giving farmers the tools to address today's needs and tomorrow's challenges. We believe in what we do because we believe in what farmers do, and together we thrive. Corteva AgriScience, keep growing. Before we move on here today, I want to go back to the sampling. We talked about tissue sampling and soil sampling. What about taking sampling of the plant stalks? Well, on soybeans, so you're taking like a trifoliate. So you're taking basically right off the node where it branches off of the main stem. You're plucking off that entire trifoliate. And then with corn, you're taking it right down close to the stalk. So, I mean, essentially you're getting a little bit of that stalk tissue in as well. Now, if you're trying to identify a stalk disease, you would send in part of the stalk, but you're going to see that more in the fall. Once the whole entire plant has reached physiological maturity and it's started to dry down right now, we would be taking tissue samples to make sure that the nutrients are getting all the way through the plant. Does the maturity group or variety you planted change your scouting? A little. So maturity is a little bit difficult. If you're planting a really early variety bean up against maybe like a fuller season soybean, but you planted them all you know, within the same week's window, there is going to be a delay on the fuller season variety, but everything goes into the ground so fast that, you know, so when we're out scouting, one may be ready, there may be a maturity stage one day, but then two or three days later, another field is going to follow right behind it. So it's not as spread out as you think. It's pretty much all at once. (laughs) Something else I want to ask you about here today, Summer, do you also do root digs? So there are different methods to doing root digs. Some of our neighboring agencies have done root digs where they've like taken it, they brought in equipment and dug down six foot deep so that you can see where that root is actually reaching to as as the plant gets larger. So like we'll be digging a root ball, not necessarily digging six feet down, but just digging a mass to see how our corn root room pressure looks, how our root balls look health-wise, are our brace roots getting all the way into the soil, that kind of thing. I am glad I asked about that then. And do you send the root ball off to the lab as well? If we believe we have a pest issue, possibly, but not usually. Usually that's a field diagnosis. When it comes to weather, how does that affect your scouting patterns? You don't like to scout in the rain, which we're not getting enough of. (laughs) We would love to have a little more rain. It was uh, raining this morning just a little bit. I think overall the state is a little drier than kind of what normal conditions are. Some areas have gotten a little more rain, but the majority could use more. You know, weather weather kind of dictates whether you're going to have an office day or a field day, but we've definitely had more field days this year than, (laughs) than office, that's for sure. Is there anything else that we haven't mentioned already that guides your scouting? We lean on our agronomists. We lean on extension offices. I mean, anywhere where we can get information. And thankfully, there's so much information available. I mean, compared to what farmers had to go up against, you know, even just a couple decades ago or even a decade ago, like there's just so much information that's available for your fingertips between universities and seed companies and local agronomists. There's just a plethora of information out there. Not all of it is applicable to every single operation, but there's plenty out there that if an operation wants to improve or enhance their productivity, that that's a fantastic place to start. And that's what we lean on that expertise a lot. Any of those issues, especially because you mentioned the drier than normal conditions you've been experiencing? Well, two years ago, we had a pest called gall midge that was kind of popping up for essentially the first time. And there are studies being done right now to find out kind of how to mitigate or manage that pest. But at the time when it arrived, it was really just a new pest that we didn't really know how to 
manage and it is back. I mean, we're seeing a little bit of it again this year, maybe not quite the outbreak that there was a couple of years ago, but the year's kind of just getting started. So there's still a lot that could happen in the next couple of months. But yeah, I would say we're, yes, we are. And if you do spot a disease during your scouting, what do you do? If it's something that we are comfortable treating on our own and taking an action plan on our own, which we've seen a fair amount of diseases now that we don't need to call our agronomist for every single thing. But if it's something we have a question about, we definitely can rely on the expertise of those who spent many more years in the books than we did. So that being said, my husband has an agronomy degree from Iowa State. I have a business degree from Iowa State. And so there is a carryover in you know what you learned in the books translating to out in the field, but it never hurts to have a, an expert second opinion. Same question, but this time on pests. What do you do if you spot pests in the field? Yeah, same thing. We can kind of determine the threshold ourselves if it's something to just keep a watch out for, or you can place different traps around the field to kind of gauge, is this heavy pressure, moderate pressure? Is it rising? Is it kind of holding steady? You know, over the next month, come tassel time, that's going to be a, a prime time for aerial foliar application. So crop sprayers and helicopters, they're all going to be out doing the best they can to kind of mitigate that from the air. If you do find disease or pests in your field, how do you communicate with your neighbors? Do you discuss what's going on? Do you share information with them, kind of network around on what's going on around you? I would say farmers are a well-connected group because everyone wants to try to be neighborly as best as possible. So if they notice something bordering a field that, you know, is their neighbors, more times than not, they're going to call and just say, you know, hey, this is what I'm seeing on my side of the fence. What are you seeing? And kind of go from there and, you know, sometimes work together on managing that. Summer, how do you balance your time when it comes to scouting your fields versus the other work that has to be done on a farm? We just wake up every day and try to swing for the fence. That's <laughs> that's the best way I can describe it. I mean, no two days look the same, which is was something that was just so difficult for me to wrap my head around early on that the work is so seasonal. You're going to do one job for 30 days, but then you're going to put that job to bed and move on to the next season. So whether it's whether it's treating calves or whether it's planting or harvesting or drilling in a cover crop, you're really only involved in that for that period of time. And then once you complete that, you're moving on to the next job. So, you know, when they say a farmer's work is never done, I would say that's very much true because our to-do list, we check off one thing and we add 10 things to the list. So that kind of, <laughs> that you kind of just live with the state of, okay, which jobs are applicable to today? What can I knock out? And sometimes you just need some moral victories. So you just pick the easy wins and just, you know, just knock out those jobs and move on. But every operation is a little different. That's a, we kind of make our game plan a Sunday nights and going into Monday morning so that we kind of have a timeline of, okay, for this work week, this is what we're just really going to try to bust hump and get done. Does it always happen like that? Absolutely not. Things can change from the moment I go drop my kids off at school to the moment I get to the seat shed, but that's life. You just roll with it. So I wanted to ask you as well, when you first got started in scouting and you first started learning to scout, what were some of the common mistakes you made? Well, I was very fortunate because uh, between our seed agronomist and my husband, I didn't have to have a massive learning curve. I was able to have a mentor with me, you know, the first full year of, of scouting, kind of explaining to me, okay, this is what I'm seeing. This is something to be concerned about. This is not something to be concerned about. You're going to see it every year, you know, no matter what. So that was a great comfort because I was flying blind. So, you know, when you read about pests and how damaging they can be, then you go out in a field and it's, oh my gosh, you know, there's a, you know, there's this and there's that. And so having a mentor with you as opposed to just being out there by yourself. So. 
Summer, now on the flip side, have you had any big successes or learning moments in your scouting experience so far? Definitely having learning moments right now. And we're going to learn just as diseases evolve and pests evolve, we're going to learn from here on out. But I go back to we rely on the expertise of those who have invested the time and the research. We're very grateful to be able to be attached to a company that invests billions of dollars back into innovation and research and publishes that data so that we can follow along and we can determine what action plan is best for our operation. So that's incredibly helpful because, you know, not that long ago, that information was not available. So how did farmers, you know, how did they manage? What what did they think about whenever they started seeing pests and diseases and just watched it decimate a crop and didn't really have the technology available to mitigate it. And now not only do we have the technology, but we have multiple ways to implement that. Have you ever had a time when you didn't scout and you wished you did? No. And if we weren't seed dealers, I don't know if we would be as heavy into crop scouting or recognize how important it was. But being attached to our Pioneer Company has been, you know, it's kind of been pounded into our head that scout it early, scout it often. You can make decisions, but if you don't know about what decisions need to be made, sometimes it's too late. You can go out there and implement a spray program, but if you're too late, you're not going to have the maximum amount of benefit. And that's what everyone wants for pest and disease control is eradicated or or minimize the issue. But if it's already past a certain threshold, it's going to be hard to to get it back under control. Summer, you talked a little bit earlier about having a drone. So how do you use that when it comes to scouting fields? The current drone that we have is color, but it is not thermal. There are drones that have that technology. There are drones that they are now um, spraying crops with. So there's drones with tanks attached to them, kind of a innovative idea that Maybe one day we won't have to utilize sprayers as heavy and not be driving over the field, knocking over plants. We'll just fly out a drone. You wouldn't have to rely as heavily on a sprayer operator as much as you would somebody that would be like a drone pilot. So there's just so much exciting technology coming down the corner. I wouldn't say it's necessarily feasible for every operation as it sits right now, but you know, just like the first iPhone, not everybody had it. So you know, it's exciting technology to come for the future. We could fly a drone, you know, 15 feet off the ground and you can see, you know, right down, right down to the soil level, as long as it's not, you know, canopied. It's looking for things that are, you know, an inch by an inch. So it's going to show you everything that's in the field. Anything else, Summer, that I haven't asked about or that you would like to mention here today? Well, I feel like I would be awry if I didn't at least uh, say thank you to the generations ahead of us that afford us this kind of an opportunity because it's not very common to, this is not a, a common profession for young people. I mean, it's hard to get into farming if you're not part of a family that's been doing it for a while. And so we feel very blessed by that opportunity and trying everything that we can do not to take it for granted. So there's been a lot of sacrifice by the generations ahead of us. And I would say that's probably applicable for any multi-generational farm family. It's been a a long road to get to this point, but we are very, very grateful for the opportunity to farm. Hopefully, you know, we take care of ourselves and our health stays intact and we can farm for a a good long time. (laughs) Going off of our topic of crop scouting here just a little bit, let's talk about carbon farming. Where are you at on this? It is definitely a hot topic right now. And I think the industry as a whole is trying to figure it out. So because it's such a new concept, You've got companies that are using natural resources and not necessarily putting anything back into the ground. And then you've got farmers who are working with the ground every single day and trying to figure out how to better preserve it. So it makes sense that the two would try to figure out a a way to 
sustain each other. And I think that's kind of where obviously, you know, you've got companies trying to become net zero on their carbon usage. And then you've got farmers trying to figure out how to add more carbon into the ground with current practices. So there's definitely going to be a lot of change over the next decade, two decades, as we kind of get it figured out and that information becomes available. But it definitely makes sense, right? That these two massive users on, you know, two opposite ends of the spectrum would figure out how to work together and make it better for everyone for the long run. If you were to implement some of these kinds of strategies, would you have to make a lot of big changes? We are trying to implement more of the carbon friendly program in our operation, but there's a lot of changes that have to be made. And, you know, us like other farmers, we're doing it, you know, incrementally. So it's going to take some time. It's not just the flip of a button and, and all of a sudden everything operates perfectly efficiently. It takes some time to implement. And not only time, but also money. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. But you're already incorporating no-till, so you have a good start. And cover crop. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Summer, I have so appreciated your time and the conversation here today. Again, thank you to Summer Ori for being the guest on today's Farm School podcast. Today's show has been brought to you by Corteva AgriScience, providing cutting-edge solutions for farmers worldwide. Learn more at Corteva.com. I'm Lori Boyer for Successful Farming.